Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. Respect to the Bundjalung Nation. Bay FM 99.9. Good morning and welcome to Future Sense here on Bay FM 99.9. It is uh, Monday the 6th of April, though uh, we are recording this show on the 5th of April, the day before, as are all the other shows that are uh, talk shows or opinion shows uh, on this station or news shows. Just to let you know that, that there is nobody live in the studio and we are recording this from, uh, in this case, for Future Sense in different locations. Myself, Nick Jeans, on one one hill and a few kilometres away, Steve McDonald on another hill with about the same aspect, I think, approximately. How are you doing there, Steve? Can you hear me? Good morning, Nick. I've got you loud and clear. Uh, excellent. So um, here we are in, uh, in paradise. It looks from where I'm sitting and I'm sure from where you're sitting. And yet, of course, we are in the middle of uh, this pandemic and more specifically, more interestingly, perhaps the, the fallout uh, from that pandemic that uh, we're beginning to see in terms of economics and everything else. But we're going to start today, I think, with a bit of a look at, um, at the overall global situation as we are now facing but particularly through the work of Claire W. Graves, as we usually do on this show. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with Claire W. Graves, he was a psychological researcher and also a colleague to Abraham Maslow back then, uh, in, who uh, created the Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And uh, Graves embarked on a major research project back then when he interviewed people across cultures, asking questions essentially about what it takes to become a mature human being. Well, we're certainly seeing all sorts of actions here on the planet in terms of maturity or immaturity, you could argue. But we're going to take a bit of a look at a bit of a sketch at uh, the global situation through that lens of, uh, of what is now known often as spiral dynamics, but the work of Claire W. Graves. And um, great, to, uh, great to hear from you, Steve. And let's, uh, let's, let's launch into it. Sure, Nick. Yeah, um, so, yeah certainly. Uh, Graves was around at the same time as Maslow. As far as I know, I don't think they ever really worked together, but they certainly were in touch with each other and they knew of each other's different perspectives on uh, human psychology. I think Maslow sort of agreed uh, towards the end of his life that Graves had a much more complex model I, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the key difference being that uh, Maslow's model had a pinnacle and an end point as if there was actually such a thing as a mature human being. But Graves was the opposite and believed it was an open-ended system and we're always always growing and expanding. Yes. So, uh, yeah, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk about the different value, value systems that are at play uh, at the moment and also the, the state of play at the point of the outbreak of coronavirus. So it's very easy just to be focused on the virus at the moment and its impact and kind of forget that there was a whole bunch of stuff going on before it actually arrived. And really a lot of what we're seeing now is just a continuation of what was already there, you know, apart from the very specific uh, health impact of the virus. And then uh, we'll go on to talk about what we should expect next. And we'll have a look at a few different indicators of the future, including some astrology from you, Nick. Mm. And... 
look at these different value systems and ask ourselves, okay, what are they likely to do? What are the sorts of motivations they're going to have? What should we watch for? And, uh, and just to kick it off, I just want to mention that uh, in relation to COVID-19, what we've been saying for the past few weeks as we've been commenting on this outbreak is really still, I think, consistent and uh, applicable. And that is that those who are most at risk are the elderly and people with pre-existing health conditions. Uh, and uh, they would be anything, you know, including anything that might weaken the immune system. And when we look at places around the world that are having unusually large casualty figures, we ought to just keep in mind that there will be very specific life conditions which are contributing to those figures being different than the average. Yes. And also the same thing applies with uh, workers in the health system, of course, who are most likely overworked, mm. uh, not getting enough rest and you know, not in the best condition themselves and, and also having to operate at times without um, perhaps the best protective equipment as well. So, so all of these factors come into play. Mm. Yes. Um, we do continue to support the recommended strategies in place uh, and we would urge everybody to listen to the instructions in their local area and to follow those instructions in order to avoid unnecessary casualties and I'd just like to specifically say that nothing in this broadcast should be interpreted in any other way than that that we are supporting the recommended strategies at the moment. We are of course going to talk about uh, various options and approaches that have been taken by different people around the world but please uh, just understand that we are very, very supportive of uh, all of the conditions in place right now. Yeah. In relation to the global response, the main issue, of course, has been the limited capacity of medical facilities to cope with higher numbers of critical care patients, and specifically patients requiring intubation and a ventilator. Uh, that that seems to be the, uh, the, the main point of issue at the moment for all the countries around the world. And the across-the-board restrictions applied to entire societies, and particularly the economic impact of those, has not really made sense to us right from the very beginning. And, and I'm still holding that perspective and will still explore uh, making sense of what's going on from that perspective. So first of all, let's just look at the value systems that are at play. It's very confusing at the moment, and the reason that it's very confusing is that there are a whole bunch of different motivations and different agendas playing themselves out. There are really six different human value systems operating uh, in a significant way at the moment. There are actually probably more than that. I won't say eight or nine, but the, the seventh, eighth and ninth are in very small percentages at the moment. And uh, so we'll just talk about the, the ones that are having the main impact. And particularly today, we're going to zero in on in Claire Graves' model, what are called layers four, five, and six. So layer four being the authoritarian mindset, which came from a, a time of social classes where society was layered into different classes and uh, really grew out of the agricultural revolution and started to fade from dominance with the emergence of the fifth layer, which is the modern scientific industrial era. Mm. And then, of course, we've got layer six, which is the emerging paradigm, which is very humanistic, quite relativistic in its outlook, and very network-centric. So four, five, and six, the, the authoritarian, the scientific industrial, and the emerging humanistic are the main things that we're going to be talking about. And bear in mind that complexity is the driver of change, and complexity, the level of complexity of our life conditions is what moves us through these layers from the lower layers to the higher layers as we are challenged to cope with more and more complex problems. 
And as far as we know, as long as history's been recording what's been going on, we seem to be on a long, long-term trend of increasing complexity, and uh, we don't see any uh, chance of that changing anytime soon. So that's useful because we can bank on the fact that over the long term, human life is going to be dominated by increasingly complex value systems and increasingly complex ways of, of making sense of the world. And just I wanted to add too from uh, Monica Bourgeau's book, uh, The Change Code, which we've talked about here and we've talked to Monica and we've given some books away and Steve uh, wrote the forward for that book, recent book, uh, on, uh, on Claire W. Graves' work and very applicable to these times. Uh, she talks about um, the, the word biopsychosocial, which was Graves' word, and I think this is rather important because it is a mind-body connection and the mind shaped by neurological structures and networks while also being activated by chemical interactions and one's life conditions, as you said before. So it's a complex itself that is all emerging and complexifying as we go forward, isn't it? It's the biology, which clearly we've got a biological threat at the moment, you could say. Psychologically, very clearly, it's impacting all sorts of psychological processes in in human beings and social, cultural, of course, in exactly what behaviours we are now being whipped into, into uh, abiding by, so to speak. Yeah, that's, that's very true, Nick. It's a whole-of-system approach uh, or an integral approach mm. that takes into account all of those things, and, and thanks for that. It's, it's important to remember that. Uh, let's start out by talking briefly about Layer 4. So as I mentioned, this emerged out of the agricultural revolution when we started to come together and live in larger groups. We needed to have a very rational uh, structure um, in terms of our approach to living together in, cl- in close proximity, a set of rules to live by. And often in the early days, those rules came from uh, a higher authority, such as a, a god within a religious structure. And still many, many people, of course, living according to these values around the world. And that's simply because their life conditions are demanding that particular value system uh, in terms of it being the most appropriate for solving their day-to-day problems. Uh, and certainly large parts of China, large parts of the USA are still living by layer four values. And under emergency kind of circumstances like we're seeing with the coronavirus, they can be really useful because people who are living according to layer four values are much more likely to comply with orders from a higher authority. In fact, they look to that. And with the current value shift that's happening globally, there's been a kind of a backslide, uh, what's called a regressive search from... The, the dominant paradigm back to layer four values as people try and find something that works better because things don't seem to be working all that well at the moment across many, many different systems. And so so many people within mainstream society are also reaching back to layer four at the moment. And, and we're seeing that in terms of the compliance, the amount of compliance that's going on with the uh, instructions from higher authority. Um, One of the things I note about uh, Layer 4 from Monica's book also is that uh, Layer 4 is the one with the lowest values for creating innovations, achieving new concepts and independence. So that's interesting as there's a regression back there in places. It actually does or potentially actually curtail uh, new thought and uh, new innovations coming forward to a degree. That's true. And you've got to think about the whole evolutionary progression in terms of Layer 4 coming out of Layer 3, because Layer 3 was just uh, wild, wild, wild. You know, it was... uh, Wild West. It was the Wild West, literally. I mean, that's where the expression comes from. Uh, And so you needed something that would shut down a whole lot of that wild behavior in order to allow people to live together uh, in a workable way in large populations. So the, so that's why, in an evolutionary sense, it is that way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think 
the fact that we are in this regression, I mean, the, the whole idea of the regression, it's, it's not really an idea, it's just a, it's a natural phenomenon. Uh, and the reason that evolution uh, made it show up this way is that by going backwards, it's like pulling the elastic band on a slingshot and creating tension for the movement in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. So we can expect that this uh, time of heavy compliance and heavy layer four authoritarianism will create a whole bunch of stored energy that's going to be released you know as soon as we see an opportunity to do that uh, and so people will come out the other side of this lockdown hungrier for change mm. and just from a basic sort of Taoist yin yang philosophical perspective opposites give birth to each other so isolation creates a desire for community mm. and we can expect that and, and for that reason this period is really feeding into the overall values shift from layer five to layer six, which is taking us from an individual layer five to a community-oriented layer six. Yes. So you can see how it's all kind of feeding the, the evolutionary progression in a very, very nice way. Mm, that's that's fantastic. And it's basically an accelerator, what you're talking about there. It's a catalyst for a, a faster change, which is clearly what we're all longing for anyway and what is uh, imperative on the planet in so many different ways. And this virus is um, somehow become the catalyst for that very thing. It's fascinating, isn't it? Mm. So let's talk about layer five, which is the what we know is the modern paradigm that we've grown up within, most of us. Uh, so it's the scientific industrial mindset. And at the moment, we are at a stage in the evolutionary progression where we are, at a, on a global scale, we're exiting layer five. So when Graves did his research, he identified these layers and he, he saw that they had nodal expressions, which were like where they, they were full on. And they had entering and exiting expressions. So when somebody was just moving into one of the layers, they would be behaving a certain way. And and when they were starting to exit it, when it had kind of run its course, they would also be behaving a certain way. And on a global scale, we're really exiting layer five at the moment. Uh, And again, this is a vast generalization because different countries in different places uh, are at different layers according to their local life conditions. But we're just talking generally here. So... When we're exiting layer five, the primary driver is still success, but we have moved closer to the tipping point into the next system. And uh, what I'm noticing now is that layer five has really been characterized by busyness, right? And you can <laughs> say that as busyness, or you can say it as business, because it's all been about business. It's the same, it's the same word. It means the same thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And have a look at what's happened. Business has stopped. It's not business as usual at all. Uh, we're having a little quiet moment here and uh, where it, it's quite possibly the first global scale expression of a layer six problem solving strategy being necessary, mm-hmm. which is which is a real interesting indicator that we're progressing beyond layer five. Very, very interesting. And of course, it's been necessary to avoid crashing our layer five systems, our medical system. Our Well, it's, I mean, our economic system was going to crash anyway, but this is kind of like a, hmm, it's, it's, it's uh, almost a controlled crash, really, and that's what it looks well, like. Well, that's what we were talking about last week. This yeah. is a kind of uh, offset to, to, to uh, rescue us for three to five years, I think we said. Yeah, yeah uh, Likely exactly. that there's going to be more to come. We, in fact, we certainly predict that as we go forward. This is not the end game here. Exactly. So one of the things about layer six is it, it really needs time to stop and think. I mean, that's what layer six is all about in, in a lot of respects. You know, it's about getting out of that rat race that we've been in and, and giving ourselves time, having a sea change, a tree change. So you can think of what's going on right now as kind of like a bit of fertilizer for layer six. Mm. It's time for inner exploration and to to ask ourselves who we are and who we're being. 
if we look at layer five itself, it's it's really worthwhile just taking a quick look at its characteristics and understanding it because it will help us predict what's going to happen next from those organizations and individuals who are still operating from layer five. It's an individually themed system and it's all about changing the external world to suit us. It grew out of frustration with the old layer four system, which was generally slow moving and self-sacrificing. So layer five became the opposite. It became fast moving. It became very explorational. It got us to the moon and back. Very, very driven by personal success uh, through applying strategy, working hard and being determined to achieve goals. It's very experimental. It's not locked into one way of doing things. It, It is highly adaptive as a result of that. And most importantly, it will exploit any and all opportunities to get success. Well, I note, for example, in the US that different states are bidding for some medical supplies which are in short supply and the, the highest bidder wins. That's a really great example of Layer 5 still in operation there. Can you imagine actually when lives are at stake, but they're still the, the, the biggest, the highest bidder wins? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite fascinating, isn't it? Uh, there it is in full flight. And it's all about efficiency too. You know, It doesn't want to spend any more money than it has to in order to be successful because often money's the measure of success. Mm. So it doesn't want to lose it. Uh, it's in terms of the global picture, it's well past its peak now. So we can look back, you know, into the, the 80s perhaps and see where it really was in full flight. Greed is good. Yep. Uh, and what happens with every value system, not just this one, is as it passes its peak, it goes into a deconstruction phase where any attempts at problem solving using the strategies of that layer will actually become counterproductive and accelerate the demise of the paradigm and we're in that aspect of of the shift at the moment we're seeing that layer five strategies in order to try and solve this problem really aren't effective and you just gave a good example of one actually right i mean when people's lives are at stake uh you know the the highest bidder wins might not be the best way to solve the problem absolutely and it's become very, very public now. We're seeing it in the mainstream media, this uh, counterproductive aspect of the strategies and, and you know how things are falling mm. apart. But corporate capture is a really key issue here. Uh, and it's, it's kind of like both the prize and the downfall of layer five is, you know, the, the idea was to get control of all of this stuff so we can just use it, you know, to our own advantage. And, and now that we've got it all from a corporate perspective we control everything we control politics we control whatever you want to control uh it's kind of also become the downfall because everybody's turning around and going hmm this isn't actually working for most of us uh and uh, everybody of course has heard of the the 99 and the one percent split and and so we're facing that issue and and so layer five's greatest advantage has become its disadvantage in this deconstruction phase so before this uh outbreak happened you know there were a whole bunch of things going on and it's very easy to lose sight of those and just think about the actual virus itself but we've been through a time where corporate capture became the the number one issue that we're facing uh it, controlling our democratic systems um and serving the the one percent as i mentioned um I think the notion of short-term rewards too, because it's a very short-term thinking is. overall, isn't it? Yeah, Layer five, and yeah, we've, we've seen the results of that in terms of the infrastructure uh, uh, collapsing or, or, or shaking radically underneath the pressure of the, of the coronavirus yeah, outbreak. The, yeah, the individual systems are short-term. The communal systems tend to think long long-term. Yep. Before the COVID nine outbreak, it's important to remember that our hospital systems were on edge in many different countries Uh, certainly here in Australia there was a general shortage of beds and staff and facilities and this is because of the efficiency mindset of the layer 5 paradigm 
Our global economic system was overdue to crash again, well overdue, and really nearing its end of life altogether. Central banks and governments were running out of levers to pull to try and keep it on track. The European Union, of course, has been in a rolling economic crisis for many years. That's been threatening the survival of the union itself, and we've seen the UK leave the union. So it's really important to remember that it wasn't the virus that created these problems and that they are still ticking away in the background yeah. and adding to the mix. You know, additionally, we've seen the fragmentation of political alliances, both within parties, within governments and between nations. We've seen rising civil unrest around the world due to opposition to government policies. Uh, and this is also a symptom of the value shift where people are, you know, different value systems are clashing, particularly four and five and, and lower, like three as well, particularly. And the tension created by the regression to layer four within societies. There were trade wars underway and still are, most notably between the USA and China. There were currency wars underway uh, with different countries dominating to become the, the main global currency over the US dollar. There were cyber wars underway uh, via the internet. And right now, the leading edge of the art of war is about fighting a plausibly deniable war, one that impacts your opponent but leaves everyone questioning what's actually going on without any declaration of war. So it's important to keep that in mind also. At the same time as all of this has been happening, we've seen the simultaneous emergence of the new paradigm, which is the good news, the rise of the new world. There has been increasing concern for the state of the natural world. We've seen uh, groups like Extinction Rebellion popping up and causing disruption to try and bring attention to the natural world and the way that we, we treat it and interact with it. There's been paradigm-breaking advances across many fields of endeavor, including psychedelic medicines, as an example, and healthcare. There has been growth of open source, decentralized technologies, including blockchain, but many other examples as well. There is a rekindling of local communities. Mm. Farmers markets are popping up everywhere around the world, all part of the general trend of both relocalization and also reconnecting with nature uh, in our immediate set of life conditions where we're living. And right now there's been an outbreak of peace and quiet. Yeah, absolutely. And that's also an element of Layer 6 too, isn't it? that inner peace that people search for to, to bring harmony to things and also to to not just connect with nature but even see it as, as sacred again in that return to indigenous wisdom, for example. Absolutely, absolutely. So what we're going through now, particularly the, the peace and quiet aspect, is really feeding Layer 6, mm. feeding its emergence, its fertiliser, as I said. Mm. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. You're tuned to BFM 99.9 here on Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. And of course, the podcast is edited within 24 hours of this broadcast on Monday mornings in Byron Bay, Australia. And you can find the podcast at futuresense.it or through your normal podcast platforms. There's usually two segments of about 30 to 40 minutes each in that podcast and we do take out the uh, the great music that we play and also the station IDs and so forth. 
Just before the break, uh, Steve was talking about Layer 6 in particular and the emergence of Layer 6 during this time. It's already been happening with the acceleration of that, and particularly that notion of us having to be inside, having to be socially, socially isolated, and thus having to sort of work on, at best, uh, the notion of inner peace or just relaxation of not having to do and not having to be busy business as much as we had before. So on the note of that, I thought I'd start this segment with a, a short email that I received from a friend of mine, uh, an Italian friend who lives here normally, Valentina. Many of you may know her who live in this region. And she just wrote about her time in Italy as she's back there now still. She says this, to give a bit of contrast to what people may imagine about Italy from the news only, I'm sharing the reality I'm immersed in since the first day I arrived on the 3rd of March, early spring in Bologna. Life is exploding everywhere in nature to oppose the many deaths from COVID-19. There are so many wild animals apparently walking around the empty cities and towns. There's no pollution. The air is fresh and clean. Traffic is non-existent. It's a new experience also for the animals. It's like we have finally been put in our cages, our homes, and they are free to roam out of their forests into the cities. Wherever there's death, there's also life. And where there's fear, there's people who choose to go in or to retreat and raise their own consciousness and the frequency of their vibration. I feel, she says, that if people spend most of their time feeling, meditating, and at least working on their consciousness rather than incessantly filming themselves, watching videos and sending silly stuff on WhatsApp or binging on TV, the planet would have a lot more chance to get out of this global crisis in some new, unexpected way. And I thought that's a great comment and fascinating the, the notion. We've heard that from a number of places around the world which have been shut down of animals coming back, blue skies, less pollution and so forth. So she's having the same experience, Valentina, in Italy. And again, this, this focus on, well, if you're inside, how about uh, working on your consciousness or however you con conceive that to be, your, your dreams, your passions, your purpose, your simplicity in life. That's great, Nick, and it's all very nourishing for the emergence of layer six. Uh, speaking of which, you just took part in a global meditation, I think. I did. As we said, we're recording this show on the Sunday, the 5th, uh, yesterday for you guys who are listening out there on the Monday. And there was a global meditation at 12.45 today for about 20 minutes or more around the world, I think linked up by a number of different uh, organizations, uh, meditation groups and uh, light workers, if you will. And likely that there are many, many millions of people focused on that. There was different focuses, uh, as I understand it, from different groups, but the timing was specific to the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction, which we are just seeing right now. Uh, and we'll come to that in a little while, too, the, the, some of the astrology of the moment. Uh, but the focus in what I was tuned to was um, focusing on choosing a timeline. This is, this is a bit out there, but you know, when you think of it, it's quite simple. We are on a timeline, on a past, present, future line. That's how it appears to us in this three-dimensional reality. And really, we choose what line we're on, in a sense, uh, mutually. We choose it individually, seven billion souls making choices every second. And it's kind of like moving the Titanic away from the iceberg. That's an old, uh, an old uh, analogy, but it's quite a good one. It takes a long time to shift uh, a planet from one direction to another. So that notion of giving it a bit of a nudge towards a more, well, to more what we're talking about, more layer six, to more communal, to more uh, to better uh, well, value systems which are appropriate now for a new world to emerge. So uh, that was the focus of the meditation. You may have joined in, and of course you can do this at any time. Please do. Yeah, and I I heard somebody say they were looking to try and get a, a million people meditating at the same time, but yep. uh, 
there, there looked like there were a number of different groups who were doing that and, and just the time was synchronized, right? Yeah, yeah. I, it was out there. I received it from 20 to 30 different places over the last couple of weeks or so. Hmm. So I'm sure that there would have been far more than 1 million people doing it around the world. Very interesting. Far more. Yeah. I, I did tune in for a short while just to check it out. Yeah. Very interesting indeed. What else is going on? Well, last week we spoke about the... Um, it was the last week or the week before we spoke about the the general responses, kind of like an on-off switch rather than a volume knob, uh, you know, being in like an all-or-nothing approach from oh, yes. pretty much most countries around the world. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting that uh, Sweden has come to my attention this week as being the odd one out in some respects in that they are not locking down uh, as much as, as other countries. And... I'm wondering, and I, I'm not sure of this, I've just seen two media, mainstream media reports, so I haven't got enough information to really make a call yet, but I'm wondering if this could be a, a glimmer of a second-tier approach to solving the problem. This is very, very interesting. Um, what they've done is that they, the Swedish uh, Prime Minister, I understand, has really handed over to the, the best medical expert in the country to basically set the rules and decide how Sweden responds. Which we should say is not exactly what most of our other countries are doing. While there are certainly chief medical officers and others having input into that, leaders of, the, of health departments and so forth, it would seem that the politicians are, are making the calls. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, which is still a very layer five kind of mainstream approach is just keeping it under the control of the politicians. Uh, so this is really interesting. I might, uh, I've got a couple of articles here that, that have been sent to me, uh, and I thank you to those people. Uh, in, fa- in fact, uh, Con- it was Conrad from Melbourne, I think, sent me both of these. Oh, so thanks, good day, Conrad. Uh, Conrad, we appreciate Hello, Conrad. that. Um, and I might just quickly have a bit of a skim through them. So one of them is uh, from a website called stuff.co.nz, yeah. and the headline is Coronavirus. To Swedes, it's the rest of the world engaging in a reckless experiment. <laughs> And this is an opinion piece. Uh, it's not too long. It says, um, it says uh, there's no lockdown in Sweden. Shopping centres remain open, as are most schools and firms. Uh, many are working from home, but many are still not. All are at liberty to choose. Uh, and the author says, when I called a friend in Stockholm to ask about the Swedish experiment, he was on his way to a book launch. A book launch? Goodness. He's still taking his sons to football matches and is proud that Sweden is keeping calm and carrying on. Mm. To him, there is no Swedish experiment. It's the rest of Europe that is experimenting by locking down economies in response to a virus which may prove to be no more deadly than the flu. Mm. They, uh, the Swedes have a, same article says the Swedes have a fresh argument that their country might be the only one in Europe to come out of the coronavirus crisis with the economy semi-intact. And that's the big thing there because they haven't closed down the economy anywhere near the same way as almost every other country in the world. No, it's a, it's a very interesting measured response. And of course, this is what we've been saying right from the very beginning was that the, the general response seems to have been over the top uh, and, and perhaps um, you know, not purely focused on the virus itself, but with other mixed agendas in there as well. Back to the article, it says, uh, it's not that Sweden is in denial. It has, at the time of this article was published, which is just something checked out. This is published on April the 3rd. Uh, it had 5,466 confirmed cases, 282 deaths. And uh, coronavirus has been found in a third of Stockholm's many elderly care homes. But the debate, uh, there is 
the debate there is still where the British debate was three weeks ago when the Prime Minister was resisting lockdown. Uh, and that changed for Britain, of course, when Imperial College London published its study suggesting that uh, there could be extremely high casualty figures. Well, half a million, I think we quoted last week. That, and, that's right. Uh, Neil and, Ferguson uh, backed it down to 20,000. That's right. So so that clearly wasn't, uh, probably wasn't on the money that big. Uh, so it, it kind of looks like Sweden's been pretty smart about this, actually. Um, they still see COVID-9 as a manageable uh, issue, basically a manageable risk. The face of Sweden's response has been someone called Anders Tegnell, the state epidemiologist who has held daily press conferences. Politicians have taken a back seat. His team have published their own assessment of the virus and its likely trajectory, showing it peaking with about 250 needing intensive care in Stockholm. The nation's hospitals, he says, can cope. A 600-bed temporary ward is opening tomorrow, so it's not like they're not doing anything. They're just being very selective about what they're doing. Uh, and uh, when that temporary hospital does open, a quarter of all intensive beds uh, will be there. I think it's interesting too, the Swedish Prime Minister was asked if he had ceded power to Tegnell uh, and uh, doesn't seem to be offended. And he said that time will tell if we made the right choice. And uh, yeah, that's an interesting thing too, that a politician would cede power in that way to uh, to a scientist. That's unusual, that's for sure. It's very unusual and quite paradoxical, actually. Yeah. Actually, that's what sort of suggests to me that there might be a glimmer of second-tier intelligence at play here, which is very, very interesting. Um, you know, they've been quite measured about putting restrictions on. They've restricted some students, but uh, not others. Uh, they recognise that young people are a low-risk in terms of this, they've also recognised that people with certain medical conditions are high risk and they've taken extra steps to protect those people and isolate them. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll have to let this play out and see, but it'll be very interesting to revisit, sorry, it'll be very interesting to revisit these in uh, the weeks ahead and just see where Sweden is compared to the rest of the world. Of course, mm. they, are, they are not uh, isolated from the world economy, so they are going to suffer from the actions of other countries. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's follow this and see where it goes. From the same article, I find it interesting too that um, Kirsten Hesius, who runs a government pension fund, has been arguing that money versus lives is a false choice. Rising unemployment hits pensions directly. She's referring here to, of course, the, the, uh, the economic impact in other countries such as Britain, where one in five small firms, according to this Article 2, uh, are on the verge of going bust and uh, working mothers edged out of the jobs and so forth. Uh, but she goes on to say, well, rising unemployment hits pensions directly. What's more, the tax base disappears, and then we have to start cutting welfare. So essentially what she's saying is there's a lot of other knock-on effects here, whichever strategy you choose. But clearly the more you close down, the more uh, dominoes are going to fall one way or the other in society, in, in, uh, in the economic structure of a society. Yeah, and, and that's when you look at this from the perspective of the whole thing being designed to limit the spread of the coronavirus. But mm-hmm. as we painted at the start of the show, you know, the picture when this started wasn't particularly good. And, you know, when it comes to the economy, I mean, the economy was, was really on the edge. And so when something like this pops up and you realise that, okay, this actually could kill the economy, uh, then... It's very, very tempting to, to try and grab the steering wheel and at least steer it in a particular direction 
by f- focusing on the economic aspects of it, uh, you know, perhaps even to uh, the detriment of some of the health aspects of it. And mm. certainly that's looking like the case from my perspective. It's looking like that. This, this massive uh, shutdown effort globally is really as much about where the economy was at and trying to steer it, you know, into a controlled crash uh, as it is about the, the health aspects. Maybe even it's more about the economy than the health aspects, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I think that is becoming clear to many people. I, I, I think actually for, for a lot of people who were originally afraid of this virus, and maybe still are to some degree, uh, certainly there are risks, uh, but people are starting to look at the the uh, the impact of the closures of things, the impact of not being able to see your closest friends, the impact of not going where you normally go, doing what you normally do, and the economic impact, as we're talking about, is is obvious. And all of that looks like uh, it's not just about the virus when you actually look at the stati- statistics uh, with a bit of a, 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 a decent eye, really. Yeah, and uh, I mean, if you go trolling on the internet, there are plenty of medical very, very experienced and senior medical people from around the world coming out and saying that, you know, these measures really don't make sense from a, from a health perspective. So uh, more will come to light as time passes, I'm sure, and it'll be very interesting to, to see more information coming out about this decision-making process and the strategy and where it came from. Indeed. Indeed. You're tuned to BFM. You're tuned to Future Sense here at... Uh 99.9 on your dial or you may be listening on the web bayfm.org you can always listen to these shows every show from our website or to our podcast which will appear usually by uh, Monday Tuesday uh, after the broadcast of the show itself and that's usually in two or three parts of 30 to 40 minutes or so and thanks to Dina uh, Sharrick who does that uh, always forget to acknowledge Dina and I finally remember to do so so there you go Dina thanks, thanks Dina. for doing that uh, that editing there We'll take a little break here and be back here on Future Sense. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on BayFM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.